Uh, inside your bulletin, you will see uh, something that is an insert. You may have wondered why on earth is this in here? It has nothing to do with an announcement. You'll see it's a little white sheet. I like for you to take that out. Take that out, even if even if you're not a note taker, even if you're a person who says, you know, come on, uh, then, then take it out, humor me, play along for just a minute. And you'll see at the top of that sheet that it says goal planning. And and I would would maybe encourage you just just for a minute or two, maybe even write something down, but at least think about a particular goal that you have in mind right now. And I, I would venture to say that regardless of how young or old or in between you may be, that you are you are a person who maybe, maybe though you don't write them down, you're a person who sets goals. That's just the way that life is. We have certain things we want to see happen, we want to accomplish, we want to do, we want to become, we, whatever it may be. And so whether you're a senior adult, whether you're a middle-aged adult, whether you're a young adult, whether you're a college student, a high school student, a middle school student, or any of those in between, you have certain things that you want to see happen. You are making plans. You have goals. Some of you, your goal is to get to be uh, you know, a, a senior adult. You just, I just want to make it there. And for others, those senior adults, you say, you know what, I just want to keep going. And, uh, and I'm with you. I, I, I hope that we all uh, have those finish strong type goals. For, for others, you may be in college and you say, you know what, uh, I, yeah, I just want to graduate. Or I just, I just want to, you know, by the end, by what, late November, it'll be, you know, I just want to get a D because D is for diploma, you know, and I just, just let me get through it. You know, I just, I just want to pass the class. And, and so we all set, we all have goals. We all have different things. So maybe, maybe if you look at this sheet, you'll see there, uh, just, just a little bit down, it says goal. And this is the what and the when. Here's my goal. Here's what I want to accomplish. And, and maybe if you're not writing anything down, you at least have something in your mind. Here's a goal that I have. Maybe for some of you it's work-related or family-related or, or whatever it may be, or school-related and so on, or money-related. And, and you say, this is, this is a goal that I have. And then you see there that, that each goal has certain steps. This is how it's going to be done. And you know from, from setting goals in the past, and this is nothing new, you, you have a goal in mind, there's certain things that have to happen in order for you to accomplish that particular goal, whatever that may be. And you, and you set deadlines because, you know, if I don't get it done by this date, then the next thing is not going to happen. So you have certain things like that. So kind of keep this with you this morning and keep in mind those goals that you may have been setting, those things that you have in mind that you'd like to see happen, Regardless of what your age is, everyone sets certain goals. You see that, that pyramid there at the top right. We, we make plans, but before we do that, we set our goals. But before we do our goals, we identify our values. Our, our values are what establish what goals we, were made, we make, and our, our goals then establish what plans we make to achieve them. And so, and so I just want you to keep that in mind. I, I really believe that most goals that we make, most, most things that we set out to do, really, we, we do those arbitrarily just because. Well, it just seems like the right thing to do. Well, that just seems like this is the next step for me to take. Or this just happens to be my next stage of life. And so in this stage of life, this is what you do. These are goals that you set. Uh, we have, obviously, many college students here today. And, and graduation is a goal by default. You enter school not so you can stay in it forever, but so you can get done at some point. And I've known some folks that, you know, and certainly not speaking of anyone here, but I've known some folks who, you know, they've crammed that four years into seven or eight. And, uh, you know, and, and they, they are, you know, they're better because of it, absolutely. They made lots and lots of friends because in eight years in college, you can make lots of friends. And, and so, you know, but the goal is to get out of school. And so, uh, you know, but I think a lot of times, though, we, we make those goals, we, we make those plans just sort of because. I'm not sure we have a real good 
reason behind them. Maybe sometimes we don't give them much thought. Maybe you've done that before. You say, well, somebody asks you, why do you want to do that? I don't know. Because? Because I want to. You know, maybe, you've, maybe you've responded that way. Or, or you, you say, they, they pin you the, to the end of the corner and say, no, really, why do, you, why do you want that to be the case? Why, what is, why is that a goal? And then you're forced at some point to actually think about, well, what are my values and what are my goals and, and where does all this stuff come from? I really believe that even though we may not give a lot of thought to some of the goals that we set and plans that we make, they ultimately are all founded, they are all based upon something that we value. Whether it's money, fun, or adventure, or climbing the ladder at work, or achievement, or relationships, or, or getting out of school, whatever it may be, it's something that we value. And as a result, we establish some goals based upon those values, and then we make specific plans to achieve those goals that are based on those values. And you see that in every walk of life. Some of you go to work each and every day, and you see the values that people have and the goals that they set as a result of that. Some folks are bent on simply making more money. Money is their value. That is what they value above all. And so their goals are, are set up so that they can achieve more of that value. For others, family is a great value. And their goals are set around their, their value of family. And so we see that in every walk of life. But the truth is, obviously, we all set goals, we make plans, we all have dreams of, of what we want to do and become, regardless of our age. But I think that many of us will wind up being, unfortunately, and I say this not because I like it, but because I simply believe it's true. Many of us will end up like the person who Jesus describes in Luke chapter 12 when the guy says, I've got all this stuff and I need more space to store my stuff, and so let me build bigger barns and so on. And the Scripture says, don't you realize that this very night your life will be demanded of you? And what will all this stuff have achieved for you? I think many of us will wind up like that. Uh, and I don't say that because I have someone specific in mind this morning. I just know people. We're human. And as a result, I think many of us will wind up like that. We will have achieved a lot here on earth. We will have done some incredible things, humanly speaking. And many of us will find out one day that it matters not at all. That it amounts to nothing. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus also describes a person who has gained the whole world and yet forfeited his soul. And he asks the question, what, what would someone give in exchange for their life? He's basically making the point, what is worth on this earth having if in exchange for it you have to give up your very soul? But there are many people, probably many in this room, and certainly many in our world, if not most, in our world, if not the, far, the vast majority, who will exchange their very souls for what they can accomplish here on earth. And what a shame. And what a pity. But it is an absolute truth that that's the case. We're all looking, obviously, through those goals and values and desires and dreams and plans. We're all looking for fulfillment. We're all looking for some sort of purpose, or maybe it's peace, or maybe it's happiness. But I really, I really believe that we're often looking from the wrong perspective. And so today, my goal is to help us, through the Scripture, understand and how to get a biblical perspective on life. I really believe it's true that the plans that you make build your life. But those plans are built on the goals that you set, and those goals are built on what you value. And so we'll see today how we can properly align those things. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of James, which is over in the New Testament. 
you turn to the end of the Bible, you'll see the book of Revelation. If you turn back to the left just a little bit, you'll see James. It's nestled in there, a small little book, about five chapters, nestled in the, the back part of the New Testament there. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, please uh, go to the table of contents. If you've got one handy, look that up, the book of James over in the New Testament. <clears throat> We've been in a study for several weeks now looking at what authentic Christianity is all about. And in so doing, we've just marched through verse by verse the book of James. And I think that uh, from, from my perspective, I've learned a great deal, been challenged by quite a bit of what God has to say through uh, James, and, and I think today will be even more of that. And so we, we come to uh, James chapter 4, verse 13. And James says here, he says, Come now, you who say, and basically what he's saying with come now is, Hey, listen up. This is something important. You need to listen to this. Or let me get your attention for just a second. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. And so he says, come now. Those of you saying that, he says, and then verse 14, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So for the person who knows the good, to, to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. James has some pretty strong words here for, for the, the, the hypothetical readers of his letter. Now, we know that his, his letter was addressed primarily to Christians. Certainly those who would read it, maybe in the presence of other folks who were not believers in Jesus Christ, but he's really addressing primarily his audience is Christians, Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the world, uh, throughout the region rather, and, and he's testing them on, is your faith authentic? Is it real? And if it is, it, there, there are certain things that we reflect on. So he gets to this part of, of the goals that we have in life. Where are we tracking forward? And he, and he has some pretty strong words for them. In verse 13, he kind of sets the scene and, and, he, and he sort of gives this picture of some businessmen. Maybe you, can, maybe you can imagine this for just a second. Some businessmen are sitting around a conference table. Maybe you've had a, a business like that where you've had those meetings. You go to the conference room, you got your table, and everybody gets their coffee and whatever, they're, and they sit around, and, and, and here they go, and they're going to make these decisions. Certainly, uh, modern television, there, there are several different shows that have been based upon, uh, whether it's a comedy or a drama or whatever, based upon the idea of being in an office-type setting, and you sit around a conference table, and you have those meetings and so on, and, and this is the image that we get. They're making plans. And they say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business to make a profit. Typical business plans. And they were very sure of themselves. Very, very confident in what they were doing. They're speaking confidently about what they're going to do, where they're going to go, and how much money they're going to make once they get there. Maybe you've seen a business plan like that. And all these things are included. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the result. We are going to make it. It's going, to, it's going to work. And certainly any goal that you set, that's, that's the end result you hope, is that it will work. These guys are very confident, very, very confident in what they're doing. Now, I want you to understand the Bible here is not talking about or, or condemning making plans. Uh, it, it's normal. Making plans is normal, and, the, and this passage doesn't denounce that in any way. Uh, but there's a problem with how they're going about it. Uh, the problem is that they're so certain about the future, so certain about their activities, so certain about the results, that it leads them to this conclusion that ultimately they're certain that they are in charge, that they're in control. You can see sort of this subtle mindset. But you know what? Here's what we're going to do. And there's not a whole lot that's going to be able to stop us because this is going to happen. Why? Because we can do it. Or we can make it happen. We're smart enough. 
and we're gifted enough, and we can make it happen. So we see here that, that the planning is not the problem. It's the, the mindset behind the planning. They were, they were confident in and of their own abilities, and they were certain that they were in control. Then we get to verse 14, and he says, You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In verse 14, he reminds them, look, life is not as simple as the plans you made in verse 13. You think you're going to go do this, and you're going to go do that, and this is going to happen, and here's going to be the result. Let me tell you, life is not that simple. And some of you say, amen, I understand life is not that simple, because I made some plans once, and they got scrambled. I made some plans once, and the exact opposite happened. I made some plans that I thought were really good ones, and it didn't work out. We all had those things. Some of those are devastating. Some of those are absolutely devastating. You've made plans in your life to have a, a long and lasting marriage, and it didn't work. You made plans in your life to, to have uh, uh, multiple children, and, and for whatever reason, you were not able to. You, you've made plans in your life to, to start out in this particular line of work and, and, and just be faithful and do what God has called you to do, and you get fired. I mean, you, you've had plans to to do things, and it hasn't worked out. Life is full, as we well know, of uncertainties. It's not as simple as we'd like it to be. In fact, life is very complex, and there's very little, if anything, that we can control. I hate to tell you that. Boy, it's really encouraging news, Pastor. Thank you so much. But you know, the truth is, the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that, that life is not that simple. Verse 14, James says, look, you've overlooked some things here. You've overlooked how short life is and who really is in control. Because what does he say? Your life is like a bit of smoke that appears for a little while and then it's gone. You realize the Bible talks over and over and over again about how short life is. It compares life here to a bit of smoke or a vapor or a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. It's kind of like the fog in the morning. There it is, and then it burns off by the afternoon and it's gone. You know, it's kind of like if you got that old car and you crank it up and the exhaust comes out the back and, you, you know, and, and you're hoping nobody sees it, so, but it's gone pretty quickly. You know, that's the way that life is. And, the Bible also compares life to the grass that grows and is cut down and thrown into the fire the next day. You know, I, I, I drive around and look at the, the different fields and so on. I cut my own grass, and, and I just realized, boy, it grows. We cut it down, or we bale it up if need be, or, or whatever we do with it, and it's gone. And it happens again. Our life is the same way. The Bible also compares our life to a, to a flower that blooms and then dies. And boy, if you know anything about that, I mean, certainly that, that's very quick. We see that. The Bible also compares life to a shadow. That's there for a while and then and then gone. Life is short. These these uh, these folks fail to realize that. Then we get to verse sixteen, and and he says, look in verse sixteen, skip verse fifteen, and he says, but as it is, or as the way that things stand now, in your current state, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. What he tells them is because you failed to realize how short life is, because you have believed that you are in control, that you are so certain about what's going to happen, because you failed to realize how short life is and who really is in control, as it stands now, you're operating with arrogance and with no regard for the Lord whatsoever. And he says, not, that's, not, that's not just a small deal. He says, any such boasting, any such attitude, any such approach to life is evil. That's some strong words for that sort of attitude. We sometimes think, as I do, I'm sure if you're the same way, you probably think this way, that, well, you know, it's just an, it's just an attitude. I really didn't do anything because of it. I just thought about it. You know, or it's just kind of my mindset. But, but, but James here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, 
if you operate in life as if you are in control and you are so certain of what's going to happen and you disregard God in what you do, and, and, and in, as a result, you are arrogant and boasting and so on in your own abilities and you're so confident, he says, all such boasting, all such attitudes, all such actions are not just a small deal, but they're evil. Some strong words. This had become a pattern for them. This was not a one-time deal. So understand the difference. Understand that if you make plans for one thing and you, and you say, well, you know, I must be just this rotten, evil person. Certainly that behavior was far from God, but, but this was the pattern of their lives. Certainly we know, though, that it doesn't take much to form a new pattern, so we need to be careful. But verses 13 and 14 and then verse 16 really give the picture of someone who foolishly ignores God. Making plans, doing all they're going to do, but foolishly ignoring God. They live as if He really doesn't exist. And in a sense, they are a practical atheist. They may claim that they believe God is there, but in practice, they don't live like it. Part of the reason why I said earlier that I think many of us, both in church and out of church, will wind up like those folks who have gained all they can here and then forfeited later on is because many of us, we operate as practical atheists. We say God exists. We may have even made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but our daily lives demonstrate that God is nowhere to be found. And these folks reflect that. They lived as if maybe God is there, but eh, He's not really concerned or He doesn't need to be involved. They have no regard for God's will whatsoever. And as I've mentioned, the Bible here is not against wise planning. In fact, not at all. Proverbs talks about wise planning, the need for that. But wise planning, of course, in and of itself is not arrogant, but the problem for these people is what they did not do. It's not that they made plans, it's what they did not do. They did extensive planning, but they planned as if they were in complete control. James says that that's foolish, and it's arrogance, and it's evil. And then he gives in verse 15, the instead. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In verse 17, so for the person who knows to, to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. He says, instead, submit everything you do to the Lord. Every single thing. And this is the attitude, he says, that God blesses. He encourages them to develop the habit of speaking of God's will in their daily lives. And I promise you this, if you begin to speak of God's will, you know what, if, if, if the Lord wants us to do this, then this is what we're going to do. And not make it just a, a pithy kind of phrase, well, Lord willing, we're going to have lunch today. No, the Lord willing, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this with my life. If, if God wills it, then we will be able to do this and that. And that's, that's what James is talking about. Not just some empty phrase, but, but really making it our duty to refer everything to the will of God. And submit all things to Him in light of the fact that life is short, that life is uncertain. James taught them in verse 17 that, that they were to do this, and, and that was the good they were to do. And if they were not to do that, if they were not to submit and refer everything to God's will, then they were living in sin. And so it's, it's not some, well, optional sort of, eh, maybe, I don't know about that. That's really for the spiritual elite. I'm not so sure. James says, no, if you claim to be a Christian, and yet you operate as if God is not really there, he says, it is sin. You know the good you ought to do. The good is referring everything in the context here, referring everything to the will of God. And he says, those who don't do that, even if you don't think of yourself as sinful, just leaving God out is sinful. Now, when you read the Scripture, here's a little Bible study tip for you. How about that? <clears throat> Take a time out, a little commercial break. <clears throat> we've, been, we've been in the Scripture for a minute. Let's, 
All right, breathe. Okay? All right, some of you come back up for air. Some of you wake up your neighbor or whatever it takes. All right, here we go. A little Bible study tip. When you read the Scripture, right, there are some things that, that will help you understand. What we've just done is we have looked at the Scripture in its original context, which means we've seen what the message was to its original readers. All right, pretty simple. We look at that, we say, what was God saying to them? We've seen it. God's saying to these business folks back during the, the day of James, you know what, you're making plans, you're doing all this stuff, and you're leaving God out. It's foolish and arrogant to do that. And instead, you ought to say, God, we want your will, and we're going to line up everything according to that. And, and in so doing, we're not going to sin by leaving you out, but we're going to make sure that we're on the right track by getting you involved. All right? So that's the original message. Pretty simple to understand in this particular passage. The next step that we take is to figure out, now, what's the distance between their context and ours? Now, in some cases, like, say, the book of Leviticus, it's a little bit of a jump. All right? We see those old laws and so on, and we think, now, how does that really relate to today? Now, there are some overarching principles that you can find in there and so on, but we see that the next step to take, we've identified what does it mean, not first what does it mean to me, but what does it mean, and then we make the jump. Now, how, how, much, how much ground do we have to cover to get to today's world? Now, if you see in the book of James, there's not a lot of ground to cover. I mean, it's pretty easy to make the correlation between those people making plans and us making plans. It's really not that much different. And in fact, even the context of, of the covenant in which we live, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, we're still in that. We're still in the church era. So we're still very much able to relate to these folks. So we, we identify in their context, and then we look at, okay, how far do we have to travel to apply that to our lives? And I want to say to you this, that unfortunately, we don't travel very far. What James is saying to them could be directly said to us today without a whole lot of adaptation. You understand what I mean? Now, I, I particularly, I say unfortunately, it's because, well, um, all I just said about those folks, guess what? I'm going to say all that about us. And for some of us, we're not going to like that. I know I don't like it. All right? I'm going to be honest with you. I've told you before, some folks say, hey, man, that message was right for me. Boy, you know, and, and they almost act as if, well, I'd love to be the preacher. No, you wouldn't. You don't want to get beaten up all week long by what God has to say, and you got to stand before people who know you're imperfect, you got to say it to them too, all right? That's the way that it goes. I understand. I've been beaten up by this stuff all week long. What are my plans made on? What are my motives? What are my values? And so as we see that, that the jump is not difficult, we find in this particular passage, I think, some foundational truth about life. And we've hinted toward it, and, and, and it's pretty simple. These verses provide that foundational truth. You'll see there on the back of your bulletin. We'll roll through these. What are the truths that we take from this? First of all, and for some of you this will be therapeutic. Some of you won't want to write this down. I get it. I understand. I am not in control. Just write it down. I am not in control. It's therapeutic. Here we go. Therapy at church. I am not in control. Verse 13. He says, come now, you who stay. He says, listen up. Pay attention. Those who think that they're in control, he says, you need to recognize I am not in control. There's really not a whole lot that I can be certain of in life. There's not a whole lot. I know that I'm going to die. That's real encouraging. I know that if I don't pay taxes, I go to jail. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot I can be certain of. You know, it's just the way that it is. Death and taxes. And one of them you can't avoid. The other one you can, but the option, the other option is not good as a result. So, you know, there's not a whole lot that we're certain of in life. Some of you could, could really attest to that. 
you look over the last year or so, and, and just think very briefly, what are some of the, the things you didn't expect? I mean, you could probably write a laundry list of stuff. Here we go. You know, I mean, just what, what are some things that you didn't expect to happen? Uh, uh, you know, a, a relationship, a, a disease, a, a, a job, or whatever it was. There's lots of things. Guaranteed. I am not in control. I have little, if any, control over what's happening. I am not in control. But the, the great and opposite truth is that God is, and that He is perfect, and that He is loving, and that He wants what's best for me. And so praise God, I'm not in control because I'm not perfect, I'm not always loving, and I don't always know what's best for me. So praise God, I'm not in control, but He is. The second foundational truth is I do not know the future. I do not know the future. What does he say? Verse 14, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. We have plans, probably some of us, for this afternoon. Probably many of us for tomorrow and the rest of this week. But not a single one of us has been there yet. Not a single one of us knows exactly what's going to happen. Now, this is not news to you unless, you know, you've considered yourself, a, you know, a fortune teller or something for a long time. But, you know, this is not news. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Only God does. So not only am I not in control, but I don't know the future. And as a result, I can't plan without the wisdom and input of the one who does know the future. It is foolish. You can see the direct correlation. It's foolish for me to plan for the future with not knowing the future and not involving the one who does know the future. The truth is that any planning for the future is a waste of time without God's direction, without His input, since I'm not certain of what's going to happen. So I'm not in control. I don't know the future. Thirdly, my life is short. My life is short. It says, for you are a bit of smoke, verse 14, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's foolish. It's foolish for me to operate as if I have an unlimited amount of time. And I, I speak, I suppose, primarily uh, to folks who have not yet realized that. If you are of retirement age and after, you've probably become more aware recently than ever before of how short life really is. You probably have. If you've faced a significant hardship in your life, you've faced some sort of, of disease, You've, you've faced the, the loss of a loved one recently, then, then maybe you, you have an inkling of how short life is. But for others today, we're going to have to operate on faith that life is short. And if you need your faith increased, we have a cemetery across the street, and you can go count the years that those people live, and I guarantee you there's not a whole lot of them that are over 100 years old. So at most, at most, we're going to get 100. On average, we're going to get 70 to 80, and some fewer than that. Life is short. So it's foolish for me to operate as if I have an unlimited amount of time. And the truth is, not only is life short, but every stage of life, every, every little compartment of life is short. How many of you remember, like it was yesterday, all right? Like it was yesterday, being in high school. Raise your hand. You remember, like it was yesterday. All right, some of you get a little foggy. All right, but that's okay. How many of you, based upon those who remember like it was yesterday, you've been, been out of high school 30 years or more? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm not, uh, again, everybody kind of got them like this. Okay. Doesn't it, doesn't it go so fast? My goodness. I, you know, I, I, I'm in my early 30s, and I, I can't claim to know the perspective on life that many, that many have today. But I've been out of high school now for quite a while. I've, 
I've seen in, in the last several years my children grow at a rapid pace, and I thought, yeah, right, you know, and now I think, my goodness, doesn't it go so fast? And, and for those of you, for our college students and so on, you think that, that life is just, oh, it's dragging out, and when will this class ever be over? But wasn't it just yesterday, the spring semester ended, and you had to go home, and you were on a trip, or you were doing whatever it was, and now you're back. And you think, where'd the summer go? Happened. Every stage of life is even short. And in order to do it right, in order to do life right, in order to do every stage of life right, to make the most out of it, James says the wise thing to do is submit my life and every stage in it to the creator of life. Because only he knows how much time that I have left. And only he can help me make the most out of it. My life is short. When I come to grips with that, I'll become more dependent upon God because he is the creator. He is the only one who knows and the only one can help me make the most out of it. Not only that, but I am accountable to God. I am accountable to God. Verses 15 to 17, he says, instead you should say, if what? If the Lord will. Not if I think it's a good idea. Not if it'll make me more money. Not if it will help me become whatever I want to be. But if the Lord wills. And then he says in verse 17, so that for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. There is accountability that is built in because I am not in control, because I don't know the future, because my life is short. As a result, I am accountable to the one who, who does know the future, the one who did create life, and the one who does know how much time I have left. I'm accountable for everything that I do, for what I do and what I don't do. And if I plan to leave out God in my life, James says at the end of verse 17, it is a sin. And so if these are all true, if these principles of life are all true, which I believe they are, then it is foolish for me to live my life as if God does not exist, as if He is not concerned. For me to, to ignore the fleeting and unpredictable nature of life is foolish. And when I recognize it, my best move is to start doing life God's way. And so I want to give you a guiding principle and then the what and the how, and we'll be out of here. Here's the guiding principle for today. Here's what, we, here's what this all culminates in. We've seen the truth. We've seen how it applies today. We understand that this is a message for us. So what do we do as a result? The guiding principle is this. Set your goals and make your plans according to what God values. Set your goals and make your plans according to what God values. And this applies in all areas of life. No one here is off the hook. Not a single person. This applies in our work and career path. I make my goals for work and make my plans and so on based upon what God values. Not, but not based upon what everybody else values or what I value, but what God values. My, my, my decisions and my plans about money are based upon what God values, not what the world values. My decisions, if you're a young person, you're a single person, your decisions based upon dating ought to be, and if not, you are, and let me... Let me be strong for just a second. You are living in sin if your decisions about dating are not based upon what God values. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you had better make your decisions on dating based upon what God values. Because if you wait for everybody else to tell you what's going on and tell you who to date, they're going to tell you, and it may not be who God has for you. And so I pray that that is your decision to make it upon what God values. Marriage and kids and friendship and decisions about entertainment and leisure time and hobbies and, and even your education and your major. All of those things, I am accountable to God 
to set my goals and make my plans according to what He values for those areas of my life. So what is it that God values? You see those on the back of your bulletin. I just made a list. And those things are not all inclusive, but God values faithfulness. He wants you to always be faithful to His Word, to His will. He values submission. That means we recognize, God, I'm not in charge. You are, and I submit to whatever you want for my life. God, I give, I give the reins to you. You, you. you steer me where you want me to go. God values selflessness with all that He gives you. That's God's value. God doesn't give you what you have just to be a blessing to you. Certainly, it is a blessing when we receive from the Lord, but God gives it to you to also be a blessing to someone else. Be selfless with all that He gives you. God values growth, spiritual growth. He wants you not to stay where you are, but to continue to grow and fall more in love with Him. God values marriage and family. And so the decisions that we make I hope and pray that our decisions are based upon what God values for our marriage and for our families. God values evangelism. The church and each individual in it is a tool to reach the world. That's what God values. In fact, He sent Jesus to die for lost people. He values evangelism. He values ultimately His glory. Because in making much of ourselves, we don't make much of God. And the only way to have true fulfillment in our lives is to make as much of God, as much of His fame and His glory as is possible. And in so doing, we enjoy Him more doing that than we ever could enjoy ourselves. God values these things and He wants us to value them in all areas of our lives. So how do you do that? You begin with prayer. Well, it sounds so simple. It sounds so useless. It sounds so passive. Begin with prayer in every area. As you begin to set goals in certain areas of your life, if you, if you identify the compartments of your life, your school, your work, your home, whatever it may be, Begin with prayer. God, how would you have me handle this? God, what are your values in this area? Lord, you, you guide me. You direct me. Holy Spirit, you lead me. If I'm going the wrong way, you check me. Begin with prayer. Acknowledge the truth about life, that I am not in control. I do not know the future. My life is short, and I am accountable to God. Value what God values. You see that list? There are many more in the Scripture. Value what God values. And then refuse to compartmentalize. And what I mean by that is that God's will, God's involvement, God's direction, God's input will be in all areas of my life all the time. There's not one compartment over here that, yeah, okay, God can be involved there, but not over here. There's not one time when I'm thinking about God's involvement and God's will for my life, and then other times when I put Him on the shelf. Refuse to compartmentalize. No portions of my life are off limits to Him. None will be ignored. I will not be foolish and leave God out. Maybe that would be your prayer. In Psalm chapter 1, we see that, that the life, maybe you write down that reference, we see that the life uh, and goals that God blesses comes from a person who is faithful and obedient to His Word, who delights in it, the Bible says, day and night, who wants nothing more than to, to know more of God and to receive more of Him. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say that the life that God blesses, the paths that are made straight, are made straight for the folks who will acknowledge the Lord in everything they do, seeking His will in all areas. And so today there's a choice to make between becoming the person that Jesus described in Luke 12 and Matthew 16, the person who gained it all now and made lots of plans but left God out, and in the end they were left out. You can be that person gaining everything here, or you can be the person whose life is blessed, like in Psalm 1. You can be the person whose paths are made straight, like in Proverbs 3. But it only happens, it only happens when you set your goals and you make your plans according to what God values. And for some, we need to realize this particular truth, that all of that, all of what we've talked about today, 
begins with submitting to God's ultimate will for your life, which is to receive Jesus Christ for salvation, through faith in Him alone. Because none of what we've said today matters if that's not the first step that you've taken. So if you're a person who says, you know what, I'm not even sure that I know Jesus, I'm not sure that I have salvation, the Bible says you can be sure if you place your faith in Him alone for that, for salvation. It doesn't come through good works, it doesn't come through earning it. Those good works, in fact, are a result of your faith, they're not the cause of it. And so maybe today you'd submit your life to Jesus in that fresh way. The truth is that few people, as I mentioned, I really believe, few people, we live out the truth of the Scripture the way we've seen it today. I think most are foolishly content to be practical atheists. The, the, the planning sheet that, that you have there, your goal planning. <clears throat> for some of you, you wrote something down. For others, you didn't. My, my challenge, my hope for me and for you is that we will... We will take that sheet and maybe even take it and, and actually do something with that particular one or, or just take the goals that we have in our lives. And we'll choose to set our goals, to make our plans according to what God values. The paper's blank. You have the opportunity. You can erase what you wrote down earlier and you can begin to align your life with God's values and His principles. And you can see your life be blessed according to what God says. And you can see those paths be made straight. Or, you can choose to be a practical atheist. Someone who believes God is there but does not involve God in the daily decisions of life. The choice is yours. The page is blank. Let me pray again. As we close, I ask you what your decision needs to be today. What commitment do you need to make to the Lord? Maybe you're a person who for the very first time needs to invite Jesus into your life for salvation. Maybe that's something you've been thinking about and God has been wrestling with you over and today's the day that you submit to the Lord and say, I want your salvation and I want it your way. And I'm going to give you my life. And you pray and you say, Lord, I know that you died for me. I know you love me and I confess my sin to you and I want you in my life. The Bible says at that moment when you place your faith in Him, that Jesus enters your life and begins to, to do in you and through you things far more than you could possibly imagine. And He secures for you a spot in heaven for all eternity. Some need to make that decision today. And maybe in a moment you make that decision public by coming and telling me, hey, look, that's what I did today. I asked Jesus into my life. Brothers, today we need to come face to face with the choice to be made over will we be a practical atheist, believing God exists but not operating as such, or will we in every area of our lives submit our way to the Lord? And will we value what He values? And will we set our goals and make our plans according to what He values? Lord Jesus, thank You for the truth in Your Word. Challenge us, Lord. Don't let us leave today without having made a decision over who we'll be and what we'll do. Thank You for another opportunity to be face-to-face with Your truth. May we be people that make our plans and set our goals according to what you value. And thank you, Lord, you've not hidden those values from us. You've not made that a secret. But we can know you. And help us today to walk away differently. We pray in Jesus' name.